Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Have your hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> hallelujah. Well, if hopefully you got your notes when you came in filled. <laughs> filled. 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 Thank you, Lord. On the last page of your notes, there is a description. This has nothing to do with the Pentecostal revival in the 1900s, but I ran across this today in some of my notes, and I thought I would share it, but this is an eyewitness description of revival in the pioneer communities. Uh, in the late 1700s and early 1800s. So I thought this was great. It's from Ohio. It's an eyewitness account of pioneers as they were traveling through Ohio and what their camp meetings and such were like. So I'd like to read this. It's pretty awesome. Uh, But the camp meeting in Ohio was as it was elsewhere, as picturesque as it was. And earnest. Great preparations were made in anticipation of it. Great quantities of food were provided by whole communities, for most of them were camped in tents or improvised huts while the meeting lasted, sometimes for a week or more. It was a season of hospitality and rejoicing as well as religious revival, and people threw their whole souls into its celebration. It would be great if we did that in our day, if we threw everything we had into a wedding kidding, That would be awesome. The scene presented to one approaching the camp consisted of a great number of horses tied to the rail fences and trees, the wagons partly dismantled among the tents and huts, the hustle of the crowd in all phases of loading and unloading camp utensils, and the preparing of meals. In the midst of the congregation sitting on log benches, the voice of the preacher could be heard as he exhorted them to religious awakening. As the agitation grew stronger and the passions and the emotions arose, those who sat on the mourner's bench became uncontrollable. The loud voice of the preacher was drowned amidst the shouting, screaming, clapping of hands, leaping, jerking, falling, and swooning of those who had got religion. (laughs) High above the sternest hearts and high above the hubbub, excuse me, high above the hubbub rose the sweet voice melodies of old familiar hymns that stirred the sternest hearts and filled the more tender ones with ecstasy. Then dinner was served to which every stranger and wayfarer was welcome. Indeed, there was no stranger for such distinction was blotted out in the fervency of religious fellowship. At the opening of the afternoon service, another oratory arose. See, they were at church all day long. Amidst the profound silence, an earnest and pathetic prayer was poured forth, broken only both the low murmuring amens of the responsive listeners. Then... In the midst of the singing and exhortation, the excitement again rose and again died away. At night, large fires were kindled, the busy campers, the swaying of the excited crowd, the gyrations of the preacher on his high platform, all gleamed and glared in the fitful light. The white tents peered like ghosts from out of the dusky woods, whose tall trunks were like a lofty colonnade in the romantic gloom. It was altogether, with the company of screams and shouts, a gruesome scene worthy of the Druids of old. In the year 1800, 
and for several years following, an intense and widespread religious excitement prevailed in Ohio, principally in the southern and eastern portions. The feeling was publicly manifested in the camp meetings and in the astonishing and powerful revivals of that time. It's awesome. That's pioneers. That's, I'm telling you, folks, there's a history of revival and awakening here. God's trying to do something in the heart of the nation, and he does it, and he's affecting his people, and he's doing it here locally. So, Lord, let it continue. Amen. So we're going to continue tonight, lesson three of our, of our series here, the effects of Azusa Street experienced in greater Akron area. So I want to give you local history tonight of what happened as a result of Azusa Street and how it spread to Akron area and beyond. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal, heal their land. The first person I want to talk about tonight is a lady by the name of Ivy Campbell. And uh, there's a couple different spellings of her name, but it's all the same person, Ivy Glenshaw Campbell. She was from East Liverpool area, and which I'm understanding is right down the way. And uh, so she's from East Liverpool, and she was helping. She helped start the Broadway mission in East Liverpool, and she was doing a work there. Uh, she has a holiness background. Remember, we talked about the holiness movement in the end of the 1800s, and uh, that's, that was her background. And so she moves to Los Angeles, and she gets involved in the Holiness Church of Los Angeles, and she's doing ministry out there. And in the middle of her ministry and her work in Los Angeles, hallelujah, filled. Um, in the middle of um, her work in Los Angeles, she hears about what God is doing at the Azusa Street Mission early on in its day and so she goes to Azusa Street remember this little Ohio lady who's gotten touched by the Lord she's gotten born again she's helping with these missions she's out there doing this work and she hears about Azusa Street and so she goes to Azusa Street and she gets baptized in the Holy Spirit not with the the, the work of entire sanctification like was being taught in the holiness movement but she got baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and it transformed her life it set her on fire when, when John the Baptist said of Jesus he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire that's exactly what she experienced she had the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire and uh, so she came back in November, the end of November, she arrived, I believe it was November 25th, there in your notes. Yep, November 25th, 1906. And she goes to East Liverpool and she begins to tell her friends and family in East Liverpool what God did in her life. And not everybody liked it. And so she actually was rejected. But in the middle of all of that, there was a pastor here in Akron, not far away from where she's sharing her testimony. There was a pastor here in Akron by the name of C.A. McKinney, Claudius Adams McKinney, and he is pastoring what was known as South Street Mission or the Union Gospel uh, Mission, whichever, there's a couple different names that are used, but uh, he's there pastoring. C.A. McKinney had been encouraged to come here by A.B. Simpson. He was, a, he was a student of A.B. Simpson's and was a part of his college. He, had done, he was a CMA minister and had been involved in the CMA for a while. And so A.B. Simpson said, why don't you go take the South Street Mission and why don't you reach the, reach the destitute of Akron? 
And so he came and he began to reach out in a place that is known, uh, at that time was known as a not really good place, which we'll talk about here momentarily. But anyway, he hears about Ivy Campbell's testimony and so he sends word to her, will you come and share your testimony in my church? So in the first part of December in 1906, remember this is just a few months, April was the magic date, that was the, that was the launch of Pentecostal revival at Azusa Street. So this is just a few months after the start of Azusa Street Revival. And so she comes down to Akron and she begins to share what was supposed to be just a few days ended up being a few weeks. And she begins to share her testimony. And she gets up in the meetings and she begins to share what God did in her life at Azusa Street, how she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. She began to speak in other tongues and she began to admonish the people that they must be born again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as she was preaching, she began to speak in tongues and give a, give a message in tongues and then interpreted her messages in tongues. And so this became what was kind of known as uh, her, her meetings, that was characterized in her meetings. And so she began to minister and literally hundreds of thousands of people began to flock to those meetings at South Street Mission in, in Akron. And uh, so let's take a look at some of these quotes here in, in your notes on page one. Within the first month of her meetings, 40 people had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Now it's interesting in some of the historical accounts it was noted that Akron became the center for Pentecost in the Northeast. Lord, do it again. Let this become the hub for revival again, Lord Jesus. And uh, she didn't mix words. News reporters described her meetings as resembling the old-fashioned camp meetings. I'm on letter G of page one of your notes. New reporters described her meetings as re news reporters described her meetings as resembling the old-fashioned camp meetings where people entered into a cataleptic state for hours. An obvious reference to people being slain in the spirit. People spoke in tongues and tried to converse with strangers in those tongues, though they didn't have success. Pastor McKinney cited these manifestations as a clear sign that Jesus Christ was about to return to earth. And the services at the South Street Mission sounded much like those at Azusa Street. News reported also that the new sect had been denounced as a fraud by nearly every local minister, and some people have asked the police to stop the meetings, claiming that the meetings are working harm to the community. Residents in the vicinity of the mission claim they cannot sleep on account of the demonstration by the converts. The police have promised to investigate. <laughs> so what was happening is they were going down to the mission and getting touched by God in the wee hours of the morning, and there were shouts of tongues and prayers and worship and all of these sounds. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a, in a uh, shotgun church or any of a, a meeting place like that. We used to have one in New Orleans uh, that was in the middle of a little uh, suburbia area. And, uh, it, you know, you'd open up the windows and you could hear the, on the whole street the music, the drums and the bass and all the music, everything that was happening. And so I can imagine what was happening in the middle of Akron. And so this was Ivy Campbell's response. <laughs> she wasn't very gracious at all on this one. She says, all mainline preachers are liars. All newspapers are liars. Preachers and newspapers belong in the same class. Both are disciples of Ananias. <laughs> she just let them have it. So she ministered for five weeks at South Street Mission. And uh, this, this is one of the quotes that was from the Apostolic Faith that was published regarding the Akron 
uh, outpouring. It says, since I heard of the wonderful way God was working in Los Angeles, my heart got hungry. And the dear saints in Akron kept up a steady cry to God day and night for him to send it this way. And before we hardly knew it, Akron was visited. Glory to God. He sent dear Ivy Campbell here in answer to prayer, and many have received their Pentecost. The altar is more than filled nearly every service. In fact, there is hardly a break in the meeting. Some people bring lunches and don't stop to eat them. Some of the sisters sing in tongues like voices from heaven and also interpret some. Oh, it is wonderful. Many demons have been cast out and the sick are being healed. Glory to Jesus. He is also selecting his missionaries. The meeting runs day and night, sometimes all night. <laughs> people come from miles around here and are receiving their personal Pentecost. Brother McKinney is sending out invitations far and near and telling how God is visiting Akron and it brings in the hungry ones. His church doors were opened wide to welcome dear sister Ivy Campbell and Hudson from East Liverpool and the meetings have been running over three weeks. The Holy Ghost is the only leader, praise God. While some of the prominent ministers are opposing it, yet their hungry members jump over the fence and get to the little mission church and get saved, sanctified and receive their personal Pentecost. <laughs> That's awesome. Stanley Frodsham, Frodsham's book with signs following, this is an old book, and I don't even know if it's still in print, uh, but it, it says this. Miss Ivy Campbell, who was among the early recipients of the baptism in Azusa Street, returned to her home city, Akron, Ohio, and gave her testimony to the members of the CMA, of which CMA McKinney was pastor. And the pastor and a great many of the congregation received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and ever since, Akron has been a center of Pentecostal activity. It's awesome. Praise him. Hallelujah. Lord, let it happen. And uh, Campbell also ministered many other services. She traveled over Pennsylvania. She ministered in Cleveland. She traveled all over. And uh, actually, she, this really became a center for her ministry for quite a while. Um, on page three, there's another quote that I'd like to read. A Methodist presiding elder from the south visited Akron, from the south, ge geographically south part of the country, visited Akron, was baptized in the spirit in Brother McKinney's meetings, and in, early, in, in January 1907, he was called to Homestead, Pennsylvania to hold Pentecostal meetings in a branch of the CMA where God began to pour out a spirit in great measure. Now, notice this. So this is a guy. He wasn't, he wasn't associated with Campbell. He had heard about the meetings, and he, come, he comes up from the south. He gets <laughs> This sounds familiar. He comes up. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and... Uh, he gets called while he's here in Akron to go to Homestead, Pennsylvania to start holding Pentecostal meetings at the CMA. Remember, Christian Missionary Alliance, they do not believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. They believe, they, they taught that baptism in the Holy Spirit was entire sanctification, sinless perfection. It was a Wesley teaching, and that's what they believed. And that's what they were, and obviously that is, we know in Scripture, that is a gross error. There's, there is no such thing as sinless perfection. Sinless perfection, entire sanctification, remember, means once you're born again and you've experienced whatever this sanctifying work is, they said the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you no longer lived in sin. You no longer had sin in your life. You were sinless. Entire sanctification. We know anybody in here without sin? Don't raise your hand. Um, so that he gets, he goes, and um, he goes out there and he starts preaching and teaching. And among those who received the baptism at Homestead in his meetings was Elder J.T. Body, who in 1919 became the editor of the Pentecostal Evangel. Anybody know the Pentecostal Evangel? 
Yep, so he, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit there. Another one to receive a mighty baptism in this meeting was the late George Bowie, who later became a missionary to Africa. And then George Murray, um, a missionary belonging to the CMA, received the baptism in the Holy Spirit in 1907, was greatly used of God in Pittsburgh. Scores of young and old were saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the CMA headquarters and numerous other places. Eventually, by the way, the, the CMA kind of drew their line and said, we don't believe this. And most of, most of the CMA folks that got baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues eventually joined ranks with the Assemblies of God. And so we see a lot of uh, an influx of leaders into the Assemblies of God from CMA background. You also see them coming in from the Baptist. Um, some of the early leaders of the of the assemblies of God were Baptist originally, <laughs> so so you see both of them. Um, so Ivy's there ministering with C. A. McKinney. She she preaches, she teaches. People are coming from all over to receive, get ministered to. It's awesome. Right? And people are resisting her. There's, there's a fight the whole way. Literally, it becomes a fight the whole time she's here. And uh, she gets, she's getting annihilated by the public, by other pastors, by the news media. And it's just a constant onslaught. And uh, as a result, she eventually, she moves back to Los Angeles where she dies. She dies in Los Angeles. Her grave is there. But, um, you know... Her ministry, by coming to Akron, her ministry spawned and, and became the birthplace of, of revival in Akron, and it touched the whole Northeast area. And there, there are some important people that got affected by her ministry and, and are a result of her ministry. We're going to take a look at some of those here in just a moment. But first off, let's talk about C.A. McKinney. So uh, Claudius Adams McKinney, so here's this guy, he's leading the CMA church. He is, he's, <laughs> he's been born again, and he was born again in Oil City, Pennsylvania. He received education in Long Island. He was a Methodist guy, holiness, uh, CMA background, and in the middle of all of this, he goes to the CMA College in Nyack, New York. He goes there where A.B. Simpson's College is, and he receives education there. He meets his future wife there. They go to Africa, to the Congo as missionaries, and they come back. And A.B. Simpson says, I want you to go to this city called Akron, and I want you to reach out to the folks there. And so that's what he does. He meets his wife there, and they come back in 1894. Now, he didn't come in 1894. This is just setting the stage for you uh, of where he was coming to. In 1894, the section around Brown and South Streets was known as Hell's Half Acre because of the places of vice in the vicinity. One such house was owned and operated by Mrs. Lizzie Smith. You can imagine what that was. And when she became desperately ill of an incurable disease, she found both salvation and healing in Christ. She was so grateful that she went everywhere witnessing to God's goodness, and she donated her property to become South Street Mission, which later became Riverside Alliance Church. So it's still existing today. It's the CMA Church today. That's where C.A. McKinney was. Now, C.A. McKinney's got a little bit of a debacle, though. <laughs> he's got Ivy Campbell, who is full-on Pentecostal preacher in his church, and he's got thousands of people coming to his church, and, and being ministered to, 
<laughs> he's preaching and teaching a doctrine that his affiliation doesn't believe. So uh, he had a little bit of an issue on his hands. And so what C.A. McKinney eventually does, um, he leaves in 1908, he leaves the CMA. And then in 1914, he joins with the Assemblies of God. And uh, they, they ordain him, I believe it was in 1917. But uh, this interesting note about C.A. McKinney is that in 1914, he started the First Pentecostal Church of Akron. Now, that was in 1914. And as he started that church, that church then became what we know today in 1917 as First Assembly of God, which is still in existence today. And so I actually, I made a phone call because, you know, I, I always want to verify my facts. So I called Pastor Kent over at First Assembly today and said, hey, I'm just verifying my information and uh, so he confirmed what I suspected. So, <laughs> but uh, so that's they're actually that means they're coming up on a hundred years, and just co- actually they're if if you go back to the very origin of that church, they've already passed their hundred year mark. But but if you start with from when they were incorporated, they're coming up on a hundred years, and so that's awesome. So that's C. A. McKinney, and uh, he went on. He helped to form the central district what is now the Ohio network you know so at that time it involved a few more states but he helped to start and launch the the central district of the assemblies of god after it was formed in 1914 this is an interesting article that i've included here in your notes it was written by ca mckinney and it was about um, amy simple mcpherson meetings that he held here and uh, i'm not quite sure uh, on the exact location of this, it was the Grand Opera House in in Akron, and I'm not real sure where the Grand Opera House was, and I don't know if that's current. What is the Civic Center was built in 1929, so I don't know if that was the Civic Center or if there was another building, um, but I th- I believe this article predates the Civic Center, so I am I'm on a mission. To find that location and, and confirm that, and I'll let you know as soon as I know the whereabouts of that building. But uh, it's interesting. I find it very interesting. But this is what he said Our hearts are overwhelmed with thanksgiving to God for his goodness and sending upon us this mighty outpouring of the Spirit and the wonderful revival. The first Sunday night, an audience of 1,400 attended, and it was wonderful to see how quickly and deeply the Spirit was convicting the people. And how definitely they reached the witness to their salvation. Men and women with tears streaming down their faces, some staggering under the power, made their way out of their seats, walked the length of the aisle, climbed the stairs to the stage with a space a moment before some 50 singers had been hastily transformed to the prayer room. So basically in those, in, in those meetings, you didn't have a space like we do today, they'd bring them up on the stage and get them into the choir loft, basically. And so that's what they were doing. They had to get the choir singers out of the choir loft and get the salvation folks up in the choir loft so they could do another altar call to pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So uh, quite, quite the, uh, thank the Lord we have altar space today. It makes life so much easier, right? And uh, those tearing for the baptism of the Holy Spirit poured up onto the platform from both stairways. Christians and altar workers followed 
In a moment, torrents of prayer rolled heavenward. Sinners were being saved, believers baptized in the Holy Spirit, and sick healed. Tuesday night, Sister McPherson told the story of her young life and is doubtful whether there was a dry eye in the building. When the altar call was given, there was an instant response. The first was a soldier boy with broad shoulders and an erect figure and determined look, and other men immediately followed him to the altar, weeping weeping frankly and unashamed. Wives came with their husbands, mothers leading their sons and daughters. They marched down the aisles to the place where Sister McPherson stood on the steps to grasp their hands and to usher them into the prayer room. Here they wept out their hearts before the Lord and soon rose happy and triumphant. Many new converts received the baptism in the Holy Spirit that same night in which they were saved. A great many of these have declared they even had never been to a Pentecostal meeting before. The closing Sunday, the Grand Opera House was secured. At an early hour, the main floor and balcony were filled. People were held spellbound. Never had we heard anything so beautiful. How the Spirit revealed Jesus to us and His beauty and loveliness. Tears flowed down the cheeks of preachers, missionaries, saints, and sinners alike. The management of the theater stood outside looking in through the windows. Surely the Grand Opera House here had never witnessed such a scene. Words would fail to express our gratitude and praise to God for this great campaign. A large missionary offering was taken on the closing Sunday afternoon, which more than covered the fare and traveling expense of Brother McKinney's daughter to Africa, in which field she works today. It's awesome. So that's C.A. McKinney. That's how First Assembly was birthed. That's, and in these meetings, so there's another man that we need to take a look at who was very influential, and he was Levi Lupton. Now, Levi Lupton uh, was friends with McKinney, was familiar with McKinney, and uh, he heard from McKinney that he had Ivy Campbell in town. So Levi Lupton says, okay, I want to come be a part of this. Now let's give you a little bit of background here on Levi. He was a Quaker evangelist, and uh, he had started in 1905 the missionary training school in Alliance, Ohio. And this training school was very popular. It was basically, for that, his time frame, it was a state-of-the-art Bible college, and uh, he began to train people for ministry. He also, prior to getting converted, Levi and, and a friend of his by the name of George Stanley went to um, Michigan, and they started a little village, it's still there today, called Lupton, Michigan. And it's, a, it's still there today, it's an unincorporated village, a little small, you know, spit in the road, but uh, the, he went there, and he came back to Ohio, got converted, came back to Ohio, and he felt like the Lord told him to come to Alliance. And so he went there. Eventually, Lupton purchased a campground area where he would eventually hold Pentecostal camp meeting, which in June of 1907 was a, was a monumental camp meeting, and, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. So he purchased that. That's where he built the house. That's where the, he based his ministry. In 1903, he purchased the gospel car, which was a train car. And he, he and his associates would travel the country in this train car having revival meetings. So he was, he was kind of a cutting-edge guy. And he had a lot of influence with the Quakers. He had a lot of influence uh, with, with the associates, with where in the circles he ran. And then in 1904, he started the New Acts publication, which was basically a, a you know, Pentecostal evangel or you know, a, a periodical type thing like that, that he would publish for 50 cents a year. You could sign up if you did it ahead of time, and you would get the, you would get the periodical, and it would come out monthly unless something was happening you know, in the ministry significantly that he couldn't get it out. 
but it had a circulation of more than 60,000 people, which today doesn't seem like a lot of people in that time it was, and it also went all over the world. So it was a huge deal. This, he had a lot of influence. He was very well known. And so he finds out about Ivy Campbell coming. He comes to the meetings. He brings 10 of his students from his Bible college, and they all get baptized in the Holy Spirit at Ivy's meetings. Yikes. <laughs> Again, we've got this debacle here. Uh, we don't believe this, but it's happening, right? And so they uh, changed what they taught in their Bible school. They had a distinctly Pentecostal message after that, and they began to minister with a distinctly Pentecostal ministry. And uh, so as a result of that, his whole ministry changed. On December, on December 30th, 1906, Lupton described his experience. He says, I soon found myself on the floor under his gracious power where I remained for nine hours. My prayer upon this morning, when we say lay there and soak, we mean it, right? <laughs> My prayer upon this morning, he couldn't move. My prayer upon this morning was one of consecrating my body as I had never understood before. He took me at my word and really took possession. I then became perfectly helpless, and for a season, my entire body became cold, and I was unable to move even to the extent that I could not wink an eye for a short time. I began to speak in other tongues. His wife said that he had a halo on his brow. <laughs> so as a result of that, the Quaker church then shows up right down the road and denounces him and tells us, the community, how horrible Lupton is, and uh, so that ended the fellowship there. The letter that they sent Lupton had nothing, you know, the dis disavowalment, disassociation letter said nothing about speaking in tongues. It had a, a whole list of other issues they had with Lupton. Of course, they didn't want to touch that. So, uh, very interesting. Hallelujah. So, in 1907, June 1907, he has a vision to start the Apostolic Faith Association, which he did. The association had some really key players in it. If you'll remember, we talked about Frank Bartleman last week. Frank Bartleman was on the board. C.A. McKinney was the vice president. Levi Lupton was the president, the founder. And uh, he had some other significant players there. And the, the organization or the association decided to call him Apostle Levi. And this was their, their objective, was to establish an interdenominational association and did not require one to sever his connection with the church to which he belonged. This association would have its headquarters in Ohio and the school was to be under its auspices and a printing plant was to be established at that place. Many leaders from various parts of the state were included in the association. The prospect for a great work to be accomplished throughout the world seemed to be held out before this representative body. Now, why they did this is important. And, and it really goes back to Lupton's experience. He was a part of the Quakers, and they disassociated themselves because he believed in speaking in tongues. And so he, there was a lot of that happening at this time. That's how the Assemblies of God and, and other denominations be, were birthed out of this because there was no affiliation or association for people that now believed in speaking in tongues. And so this was an early attempt at that. It did not last and uh, for a few reasons. We'll talk about a couple of them. But in June 1907, as I mentioned, he had this huge Pentecostal camp meeting at which Ivy Campbell was a featured speaker. C.A. McKinney was there. Frank Bartleman was there, um, as well as others. They had 24 different states represented. 700 people came out. And then they had people as far as from Canada, China, Egypt, South Africa, England, South America, the West Indies, and Australia, all happening in our backyard. God was moving and doing a supernatural thing uh, in, in Akron area. 
So they have these meetings. Frank Bartleman said of this meeting, no organ or hymn books were used. The Spirit conducted the services, and there seemed no place for them. Uh, you know, I'm going to start quoting that when people say we don't use hymn books or organs. <laughs> There's no place for them. The Holy Spirit directs the meeting. I'm joking. <laughs> You'd be surprised some of the things we hear. Numbers were saved, baptized in the Spirit. I can't worship if there's no organ. Numbers were saved, baptized in the Spirit, and healed. Many received a call to foreign fields to prove God along real faith. Bible lines, the rapid evangelism of the world on real apostolic lines was the goal set. Conventions, camp meeting, and the interest of Pentecostal truth were held everywhere, and the fire fell in a remarkable way on these occasions. At one camp meeting in Ohio in 1908, I saw what could not be less than 50 to 75 people prostrated at one time under the power of God, numbers of whom received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So, very interesting. Ivy Campbell said of Lupton's state-of-the-art facility there in letter O, it says he has a missionary training school or home built for the purpose of sending workers into the harvest, full-fledged apostolic workers. The school had been going on for three years, and he had been teaching more than he really had experienced. Brother Lupton makes the proposition that we use the home for headquarters for the middle states. I feel it is of God and a good thing as the Akron work and this one. They can go on the streetcar from one place to another. The home has 14 rooms, I think. In the upper room is furnished for a classroom. Many have received their Pentecost. The Akron paper, Pentecostal Wonders, has consolidated with Lupton's paper, The New Acts. The home here is three miles out of the city of Alliance, God's chosen spot where people can come from Cleveland, Akron, and Canton. They have a large campground here, tents, and everything to push out in the great battle for God. So basically Campbell, McKinney, and Lupton all were partnering together to carry on the work of God. Ivy was kind of the evangelist if you will, role. McKinney was kind of the pastor and Lupton was the, he was the promoter. <laughs> he was helping get the word out and spread the ministry. Unfortunately, um, in 1910, there was a quick demise for Lupton. This is why you don't really hear much about Lupton. In, in the start of the Pentecost revival, there were two significant events that happened with moral failures. One was Charles Parham, who we talked about before. Charles Parham was accused of, an, uh, of an impropriety, which he denied and continued on ministering. Lupton, on the other hand, though, was kind of erased from the Pentecostal ranks. Nobody really knows who he is. I've never heard this guy until I started researching history here in Akron. He's, he's kind of you know, nobody talks, even Frank Bartleman doesn't even use his name. Nobody really recognizes him or associates with him because of this. So in 1910, he admitted to having an affair with his secretary. And so as a result of that, his ministry kind of went into the background and nobody really, although what we, what we tend to do, we shoot, you know, we're great at shooting our own. What happens is you, you lose the impact that this man had, he had a very viable ministry and was very credible uh, during the time of his ministry and had a very effective ministry and was bringing many, 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 many into the Pentecostal experience and had a training school that had a Pentecostal focus and was sending people out. As a matter of fact, there was a, there was a man by the name of Harry who came to um, his meeting, his Bible school. Harry came from Winnipeg, Canada, and came and got training at Lupton's Bible school. Now, what's so significant about Harry? Well, there's, or Henry, Harry, what is his name? Harry, <laughs> Harry Horton. 
Anybody name the, know the name Horton? Anybody heard that name Horton before? Stanley Horton? Anybody heard Stanley Horton before? Stanley Horton is a modern Pentecostal theologian, someone that most Assembly of God pastors would look at and say he's an authority on Pentecost and Pentecostal revival. Um, you know, my, all of my studies with anything, baptism in the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, anything Bible college, anything related to Pentecost, all bears Stanley Horton's name. And there's a reason for that. He's incredible authority on Pentecost. And so Harry was his dad. Harry came, received schooling from Levi Lumpton's school, and Stanley was a product of that. So you can throw the guy under the bus, or you can learn from his example. <laughs> I say, let's learn from his example. Some of the other folks in the early Pentecostal movement that ministered here, of course, we talked about McPherson. McPherson and Charles Price. If you don't know the name Charles Price, I'd encourage you to go study Price. Uh, but he was here with McPherson, and they did healing meetings uh, here in 1921. So incredible history right there. This, and that's just, that doesn't include Kuhlman and all those that came later. That's just... Pentecostal revival at the turn of the century. And so what an what a awesome heritage here that, how many of you knew all this information? How many of you knew this information? Anybody? See how awesome this is? It's right under our noses. God's doing something incredible, and he's, his intention has been to do something incredible all along. And uh, I don't believe, let me wrap up with this, I don't believe that it's God's intention for a work to last for five weeks and, and, and subside. I think God is looking for a place that can host and be willing to host a sustained move of God, a sustained awakening. And uh, I, think, I think it's worth us asking God to prepare us and to make us ready and to be a part of a sustained awakening in the greater Akron area that will affect not just Akron, but the Great Lakes region and the Northeast. Amen. I'll share this with you. Some of you that have been around um, with us since we first got here will, might remember this. But uh, before we moved here, one of the last events that I was doing uh, in New Orleans before we moved was a men's retreat. And uh, I remember right before, and I didn't, at that time, I didn't really quite know where Akron was situated on the map. I, knew, I had an idea, but didn't quite fully understand it. I hadn't taken the time to go look at a map, okay? I apologize. And uh, I'm at the men's retreat, and I'm laying on the floor, and I'm worshiping, and, I'm, and I had just gotten on the floor and laid on the floor. and was just saturating the presence of the Lord, just worshiping and, and enjoying God. And all of a sudden, God brought before my eyes... The, the Great Lakes region, a map of the Great Lakes region, and began to show me what he was going to do as far as a Great Lakes awakening and began to point out specific cities and things uh, to futuristically for us to be a part of in, in revival. And with that, he began to speak to me about a Great Lakes awakening, and that was the term he used, Great Lakes awakening, birthed out of Akron. I didn't know this history at this time. I didn't know any of this. I'm, <laughs> I'm learning all of this. That is why in our vision, if you look on the screen, our vision statement and, and our graphics include, if you look behind power from on high, the map of the Great Lakes. That's why it's there. 
is that God has given us a mandate, not just for Akron, but to see a Great Lakes region impacted for the glory of God. And uh, I believe that. I believe that. Amen. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.